Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. And so pretty much every single Sunday since that point, you know, I've been here for worship service and... Uh, you know, I've been officially on staff as one of the youth pastors uh, for the youth group for two years, going on three now. You know, when we Harvest first started, there was like 15 of us, right? And so when I see how much God has grown it in the past, you know, years, it's really awesome. And I see that even now that many of us have not had opportunity to really meet and you're like, who's this guy? And so my name's John Kim. I'm one of the youth pastors downstairs and uh, it's nice to meet you all. And so, if you have a chance, you know, come say hi. Even uh, come worship with us if you get a chance. Come join us in the youth group. We're in the gym. We're that really loud group in the gym as you pass up and down. And so, come join us. Feel free. Um, he, Pastor Dave wanted me to say a little bit about myself. But, you know, this is the point where most pastors talk about, you know, their children and their wife. But I have no children. <laughs> I have no wives. <laughs> So I have no cute pictures of these children or wives, you know. <laughs> and so uh, introduction is going to be kind of short. Oh, wife, wife. <laughs> oh, uh, we're not that. We're not. Oh, we're not in uh, Utah. So uh, I have no pictures or pictures of them to show you. Uh, I have about you know I'm almost actually done. Praise God with my MDiv program. About ten more classes. I didn't even know that, actually. I checked the beginning of this year with my advisor. And so that's one thing that's really exciting to me is that um, just, you know, 10 more classes to go and, you know, hopefully make the most out of these 10 classes and learn a lot and, and then see what God has for me. You know, I'm not sure. I'm open to a lot of things. And so that's one thing you can definitely pray for me for um, if you feel led. And so what else? Yeah, again. No wife, no children, <laughs> no pictures. I could show you the other youth pastor's children if you like and kill some time, but yeah, so that's about it. So, Pastor Matt, can you come pray for me, please? Well, I, you know, I was just thinking, uh, our very first time that we ever visited Harvest, uh, there was a group of people that invited us out to lunch right after the, right after the service, and, and JFK was in that group. And I remember he was the one that first taught me how to eat bulgogi when you wrap it in lettuce and stuff. And so, I, I don't know, I have very fond memories of John, and, and he, to me, really represents a lot of harvest and what harvest means. So let's pray for John and for his ministry. Father, we just thank you for, uh, for John. We thank you for uh, the ways that you have uh, worked in his life through Harvest. Lord, we, we just praise you for uh, the way that he has chosen to serve you with his life. We thank you for the work that he does in, in Roots. We thank you for the ways that he disciples students and just uh, demonstrates you to them and demonstrates what it means to be a follower of you. Father, we just pray that as he's wrapping up his... Um, his final classes in his, uh, in his master's program. Lord, we pray that you bless that time, make it a very rich time. Help it to be more than just classes that he goes to to, to, uh, to gain a degree or learn information. But, Lord, I pray that you will continue to just let, this, let him eat up the, the information and the, and the knowledge that he is learning there, that, that it will be a, uh, just a, a bedrock of, uh, for him in his future and that he will be able to rely on the rest of his life. Father, we just pray that you'll give him endurance in that. Father, we pray that even as he thinks about his future and where he may go or what he may do, Lord, we pray that you will just bless his steps 
And Father, if that includes a wife and children, then we pray your blessings on that. But more importantly, we pray, Lord, that he will just uh, seek you and follow you where you lead him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, it's my turn now, full time. Um, you know, Pastor Dave mentions from the pulpit often how awkward it is to preach in front of your peers for the first time. And when he said this in the past, I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't really get what he was saying, but I get what he's saying now. <laughs> it's really awkward, especially because some of us here, um, we have proactively sitting together. <laughs> Yeah, you know who you are. <laughs> it's the ones who are not laughing right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, honestly, it's just by the grace of God that I can say anything from this pulpit. And even more so, uh, grace of God that will allow you to hear anything I have from this pulpit, especially those of us who have sinned together, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is awkward preaching to your peers. So, um, you know, pray for me while I'm up here, even as I'm delivering the word of God. My, let me tell you a little bit about my philosophy on sermons. I think if you're really engaging and hilarious and dynamic and you can keep people's attention and you can like, you know, really grasp them, then you can go long. But if you can't, then you go short. And so I want you to prepare yourselves for the shortest sermon (laughs) ever in the history of Harvest. Get ready. Prepare yourselves. This is going to be over, and you're not even going to know. Like, what? (laughs) Like, where did it go? Get ready, all right? Um, Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we ask that as we are all gathered here in this space, in this time, this place, God, that you would speak to each and every one of us, myself first, and then every person here. God, wherever we are at in our journey with you, Help us to really meet with you, experience you genuinely this day. And pray that ultimately you would mold and shape us more into the image of Christ, that we as a body may glorify you all the more as you have intended us to do. And so we thank you for your grace, which allows each and every one of us to be here today. And we ask that you would speak to me and to you, each person here individually, and pray in Jesus' name. You know, at the time when I originally um, thought of this sermon, it was around September. Around September, and you know, I was looking on the internet, and truth be told, I had forgotten. I had forgotten that it was the anniversary of 9-11, right? And we have all these bumper stickers, and these things say, oh, we'll never forget. We'll never forget 9-11. And truth be told, I forgot. And the only reason I remembered is because I was looking at the Yahoo homepage, and we see 9-11. Seven-year anniversary. Can you believe it? Seven years have already passed since 9-11. And, you know, I want to really, uh, let's think back. Where were you when that happened? I mean, what were you doing? What were you going through when 9-11 hit? I mean, think for a second. And for me, I was driving in my car to work, and I heard on news radio some unconfirmed reports of an airplane flying into some business district building. And I was thinking, what in the world? Like, I've heard airplanes crashing in, like, open fields, crash landing. And I've heard airplanes, you know, flying into, like, swamps or deserts when they had to make an emergency landing. But I'd never heard of an airplane, at least in recent memory, of an airplane crashing into a building. You know, it was 
what's going on? And then as I drove further and further, we got to work, and everyone's gathered in the break room, and everyone's looking at the TV, watching the news. And as we're watching the news, we see, bam, the second airplane comes in. And we still have unconfirmed reports. We don't know what's going on. And, you know, really looking at those images, Hollywood like, really gets it right, really. You look at those pictures, and you're like, wow, this really does look like a scene out of a movie. It's ridiculous how accurate Hollywood is when they portray these kinds of tragedies. How quickly we forget, though, right? Because in the beginning, they said, you know, we're going to beef up airport security. And everyone's like, yeah, we need, we need more airport security because we cannot let something like this happen again. And everyone's patiently waiting, supporting everyone in the airports, long waiting lines. But it's okay because we don't want something like this to happen again. But today we're at the point where we have x-ray machines that can see through people's clothing, right? We complain so quickly, so quickly. You've done it. I've done it. We're at the lines and we're like, why is it taking so long to get through airport security? And the truth is, what moved us so much back then is just a distant memory today, isn't it? Seven years ago, 9-11, bumper stickers, you still see the American flag on people's cars, right? We will never forget but we forgot. I was looking in the news uh, a couple days ago, and this is a story I heard. I'm like, what? Some people broke into an elderly man's uh, apartment. He just lived by himself, and he was in a wheelchair. He couldn't walk, paralyzed from the waist down. But he had a really expensive wheelchair provided by insurance, and these people broke into his home, and they stole his wheelchair so they could sell it on the black market. Who does that? Like, who breaks into an elderly man's home and steals the man's wheelchair? He's paralyzed from the waist down. And you think, what in the world? I was talking to online one of my friends. You, know, you might know him. He's a police officer here. And we we're chatting. And he's telling some of the stories about the things he goes through. He's a, a policeman on the south side of Chicago. And he tells me some of the things. He's chatting, and you know, I'm not going to get into the details. But at the end, he asks this one question. What, what do you do with that? Right? What do you do with X, Y, and Z tragedies in the world? What, what, I don't know what to do with that. What do we do with that? And here today, you know, I'm not here to say, you know, I have the answers. I know why things like this happen. I know why 9-11 happens. I know why tragedies happen. I know why people shoot and kill each other for $30 out of the register. I don't know why, but I know this, that as Christians, we should have a different perspective on these things as non-Christians. Should we not? Christians should have a different perspective on tragedies of life and life in general than non-Christians do. But the truth be told, we don't. I know it seems like most of us are married here, right? But then I want you to think back, think back upon your dating days, right? And I want you to think back not upon the one you ended up with, but the one that got away. Okay, Think back to it. What do we do as Christians when we break up with the one? Right? What do we do as Christians when we have a breakup with that boyfriend or girlfriend? Here's what we do. We grab some Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Of course, it's Rocky Road, because it's a Rocky Road, right? We, yeah, it's cheesy, I know. <laughs> I wrote it. I'm like, wow, that's cheesy. But um, we grabbed the sappiest movie we can find, right? What is it? When Harry Met Sally or Sleepless in Seattle, 
If you're a guy, maybe, and you're you know, a tough guy, and you call up your friends and you go have a couple of drinks, not that I'm saying it's right. No, that's just what they do, right? We grab a couple of drinks and go out and watch a game. We drown ourselves. Whatever, whatever it is to numb ourselves from the emotional pain of losing the one that got away, right? We do that. We make a, make a playlist of the sappiest songs of Chicago we can ever find. And we listen to them over and over again. They say, yes, Peter Cetera, you feel my pain. <laughs> yes, you are my prophet right now. <laughs> look away, just look away, right? <laughs> That's what we do. And wh- I mean, seriously, what do, what do non-Christians do when they go through a breakup? The same exact things, right? They grab some ice cream, Haagen-Dazs, because it's delicious, right? They grab some ice cream, or they go numb themselves at the bar. Or, and everyone, of course, listens to the saddest songs and watches the saddest movies. And the truth is... And this is a silly example, I know. But in so many areas of our lives, Christians behave and make decisions and react exactly the same way as non-Christians. The title of today's sermon is Perspective Transforms. Perspective Transforms. And if you have your Bibles, it's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And can we uh, just take a moment, and if you have it, turn to there and... I know that, you know, Pastor Dave usually has it up there, but he is much more technically advanced than I am, and so we're going to go old school. Philippians chapter 1, starting from verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And you can, oh, wow. You guys have, all right, AVT. We've <laughs> improved a lot. So, <laughs> so we're going to stop there for now, but you know, keep your finger in that, in that area. We're going to return to that passage. What is going on here exactly? I mean, here is what's going on. Paul, and we all know Paul, He's a missionary, right? And his sole desire is to spread the word to the Gentiles. He wants to take the gospel message and spread it to the Gentiles who haven't heard it. This is Paul. His one desire is to be a missionary for God. He wants to live and die everything for Christ. And what has it gotten him? What has this gotten him? Imprisonment, right? Imprisonment. I mean... Paul wakes up every morning, and I would imagine, this is what he says, how can I most glorify God today? Where can I go? Who can I speak to? God, give me direction in my life, and how can I best glorify you this day? And what does Paul get for this? Prison. Prison. Has the thought ever occurred to you? And it has to me, I have to confess. God... You know, I'm as faithful as I can be. I try. It's not like I go rob banks or steal from babies, right? <laughs> I, I try to be as good a person as I can. I, I do as many quiet times as I can, devotions. I, I serve faithfully at church. I tithe. I try to raise my kids as faithful as possible. And yet what tragedy strikes, like a flat tire on the way to church, right? Or something worse. We, we turn so quickly, don't we? We say, God, I do all these things for you. 
serve you. I'm afraid to move. I do all these things for you. I try to serve you faithfully. And what does it get me? I mean, I don't know exactly what issue you're going through. I don't know what problem you have. Many of you, I don't even know your name. But we have things going in our lives that really, I mean, when tragedy strikes, we say, God, why? We can learn a thing or two from Paul here. I mean, look at the list found in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I sprung this on them, so I'm not going to have it. 1 Corinthians chapter 23, chapter 11, verse 23, it says, Paul speaking, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled. I have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. This is what's going on with Paul. And yet we see his attitude is this, found in Philippians 1.12. It says, even though I'm in prison, verse 13 says, as a result, it has been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's in prison and he's not having a pity party. He's not saying, God, I serve you faithfully. That's what's going on here. Why am I in jail? He says, praise God. Because now that I'm in prison, I can evangelize the prison guards. I can evangelize to those who I had never had a chance to before. I never would have access to these people unless I was in prison. So he takes the circumstance that he's in, whatever it is. Although he was expecting to be a missionary to the Gentiles, he ends up in jail. And you know, part of it is he wanted to be there. Like He kind of let it happen. But no matter what his circumstance, he says, praise God. For now, I can evangelize the prison guard. And it's become known to everyone that I am in chains for the gospel. What about you and I? What about us? When we have difficult circumstances, even though we don't know the outcome, can we say in the moment, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. That even in the midst of this trial and this tribulation, that you have a plan. And open my eyes to see this plan so that the proverbial palace guards may know you. So the first thing that perspective should transform from this passage is our circumstances. Paul had a perspective on his circumstance that really transformed. It was Christ-like. It wasn't the same type of circumstance that a non-Christian would have. It's such a godly circumstance. And it's not that, oh, look at Paul. He's such a great guy. He's such a faithful Christian. But it's this, that the same God that works in Paul can and will work to you and me. The second thing that perspective transforms is relationships, found in verse 14 and 18, 14 through 18. Perspective transforms relationships. Verse says, Because of my chains, 
Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Now, what's going on here? Paul's in jail. We already established this. Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. And we have some of Paul's enemies who they have this wicked, wicked thought. Paul's in jail for stirring up trouble by preaching the gospel. I hate Paul, or I'm a critic of Paul, or I dislike what Paul's doing. So I will preach the gospel, so Paul gets in more trouble in jail. Isn't that messed up? This is why these people here are preaching the gospel. They're saying, I want to get Paul in more trouble in jail, so I will preach the gospel more. So Paul has a, gets a harder time in prison or gets punished more. This is their motivation. And how does Paul respond to this? And this is really the truly amazing thing. It says, it says, what does it matter? What does it matter as long as the gospel is preached? And from this, we can realize that it's not, even though the motives of these people, you know, obviously, clearly, passage tells us wrong motives, but the content of their message, the gospel, is right. What they were saying was true. And Paul rejoices in this. And I was trying to think, like, how can, how do we grasp this? What does it feel like? How can we know more about what this passage is telling us? And, you know, this past summer, we went to, uh, our youth group goes to in Jaijen, uh, Joshua Generation Retreat. And uh, there's this one song that really, that really grasped our attention. And maybe some of you guys know what I'm about to say, but, you know, shh, pretend like you don't know. This one song, Healer came up, one song, Healer. And as far as the songs go at the retreat, it was, oh, nice. <laughs> it was one of the songs that really grasped us, and we sang it over and over again. It was really powerful, and it really was. It truly was. We, we prayed through this song, and you know, people, there are a thousand people that are raising their hands and singing this song. And just look at the words. It says, you hold my every moment. You calm my raging seas. You walk with me through fire and heal all my disease. I trust in you. I believe you're my healer. You're all I need. You're my portion. You're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need. And the bridge, this is the best part. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. And the background behind this story is, and this is found on like the Hillsong DVD, like the official DVD. Uh, The writer of the song, he was struggling with cancer, basically. And he came back from a doctor's appointment. And, you know, he said he was just praying and really struggling over this disease that has ravaged his life. And he, he sat down and was collecting his thoughts. And he sat down in his recording studio at home. And uh, he recorded this song. And he said it was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. And you look at this word and you look at these words and especially, it's okay, we don't have to put it back up. But especially considering the background of what's going on, where this person has cancer, and he still says, you know, I trust you. I trust you. I believe you're my healer. Nothing is impossible for you. It makes the song so much more powerful. But then word came out 
word came out that the guy didn't have cancer. He faked it. Right? The guy didn't have cancer. He faked it. And he's been on, uh, you can YouTube this, he's been on CNN. This is, this is, he has confessed himself. He's been in front of his church and, you know, wanted to uh, confess and ask for reconciliation between people. And I thought, the song's still good, isn't it? Even though the guy lied about having cancer. I mean, you should see the footage. He's going up on stage with the breathing tubes behind his ear. He has a cane. He's barely able to walk on stage. And in his defense, the reason he says that is because, you know, he goes to a really charismatic church and he has this struggle with uh, sin. And then he, his church believed that because of his ongoing struggle with pornography, that he, God afflicted him with this sickness as, you know, like, um, discipline. And so that's why he said, you know, I got this ongoing struggle with pornography. I cannot kick. I'm, I'm getting sick. And he really was getting sick for some, some reason. And then he said, cancer. That was his cover. But my challenge is, every time this song comes up in my iPod, it's still on my iPod, iPod shuffle list. I look at it, and there's a part of me that says, you know, there's a part of me that says, I don't know if I can listen to this song. But there's another part of me that says, you know what? Even though the guy's motives were wrong, and even though he lied about having cancer, and he went on with his life for like years, so many, this song has been sung in so many churches. That story has been told so many times. And even though his motivations were not right, you look at these words, and they're still true, aren't they? You look at these words, and even though the guy lied about having cancer, you look at the words again and say, nothing is impossible for you, God. I believe you're my healer. All I need are my portion. You calm my every moment, my raging sea, walk with me through fire. These things are still true of God. And, you know, I, I look at this, and this is just, you know, a small little example. But I would imagine this is what Paul's feeling like, too, isn't it? This is kind of similar to what's going on. Because although these people are preaching the gospel for wicked motivation, they want to get Paul in greater trouble. Paul says, what they say is true. What they say is true. The gospel is still true. Praise God for that. Perspective transforms our relationships. How do we react to our critics? How do we react to criticism? Do we hear criticism, immediately get defensive? Look for things wrong with them. That's what I do. Someone criticizes me, I say, well, look at you. I think that's the typical reaction, isn't it? But Paul here has critics. They're against him. And more than critics, he has enemies against him. And as they're preaching the gospel, he doesn't say, well, look at you. He doesn't say, well, look at your wicked motivation for spreading the gospel. He doesn't say that. He says, what you're saying is still true. And as long as God is glorified, I'm good with that. That's what Paul says. It's really tough when we receive criticism. Um, Here's the thing. I think regardless of who's saying it, if we have proper perspective, we look at what they're saying and is there any truth in it. And I'm not here standing saying, oh, I, I'm good at, I'm terrible at this too. But when we have a Christ-centered perspective, 
We look at the content of what is said. And truth be told, there's always some truth in it, isn't it? There's always some truth in almost every criticism we receive. And if our attitude, our perspective is, what can best glorify God, then we will say, how can I change from this criticism? What can I grow? How can I learn? If it's true, it's true. And the third and final thing is perspective. I can't say it's short, right? It's fast. Perspective transforms life or death. And there's just one verse I really want to focus on. It says, Paul speaking, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we have life in Christ, when we have God's perspective, then even life and death is transformed. To live is for Christ and to die is to gain. You know, the truth be told, and we have to really, uh, I don't gamble, but I'd be willing to gamble on this one. 100% of people will die. One-to-one ratio, right? 100% of people. I'd be willing to put money on this one. Anybody care to bet me? 100% of people will die. And when we have our perspective so focused, so grounded on Christ, then we too can be like Paul. Right? To live, I live for Jesus. When I die, I get to be with Jesus. And we're not here saying, oh look, look how great Paul is. Paul's a super Christian, super apostle. But what we're here saying is that the same God that works in Paul the same God that can work in you and me. And even if we're not there yet, I'm not. We can say, to live, I live for Christ. And when I die, I get to be with Christ. I get amen. Amen? Amen. I want to close with a short little story. It says, back in the day, back in the day, a traveling salesman went to a remote part of the country. When he got there, he was disappointed because everyone was barefoot. He sent a letter back to the company saying, there's no potential for sales here. No one wears shoes. Later, a different salesman arrived and said, there is great potential here. Everyone needs shoes. And this is how the perspective of these two salesmen really differs. And what I'm not saying, I'm not saying this. Listen, we as Christians need to call every glass half full and just trick ourselves and lie to everyone. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that every glass we need to say it's half full. But what I'm saying is, you know, regardless of where the glass is, if it's half empty or half full, we as Christians say there's a reason that God has made that glass and put the water level where it is. There's a reason for that. And there's this one word. It's called providence. Same word that we get the word provision from, providence. Providence says this. Here's the like, easy generic definition. God is a plan. And God has the ability to carry out that plan. God has a plan and the ability to carry out that plan. Providence. And I think providence is really the difference that we have between non-Christians and Christians. That we see that glass and we don't say, oh, it's half full. We say, there's a reason why that glass is where it's at. And for us, there's a reason why we are in the places we are, positions in life, jobs, school, wherever we are. We are where we are because God has a plan. And the more we know this God, we can also have the same type of transformative perspective as Paul has. When we first believed, 
I think many of us had a lot of hope, didn't we? When we first believed, we trusted God so fully. We had this perspective that was on fire for God. But somewhere along the line, I think we lose it. We, we start thinking, you know, in the beginning, we say, we need the gospel and we need Christ, and it's all about you, God. It's all your grace. But as we become more mature in the faith, it starts becoming, what can I do? And I think it's really dangerous to be in this place. And we need to get back to where we were in the beginning. When we had this childlike faith and we said, God, I trust you. Nothing is impossible for you. I trust you. And can we pray? Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.